reminding myself that how much I need God, that I need him. I need thee every hour, the song says. And so um, we show our reliance on God as we pray. You don't need anything. Don't pray for anything. You don't think you need anything. That's the issue. That's the problem. We need, we need, um, we need God's strength and his power for everything that we do. So we've been going through Proverbs. We'll look again today at Proverbs 26 and uh, look at the, um, the last two topics in that chapter that I picked out. Last week we looked at warning against foolishness and deceit. Today we'll look at the warnings against laziness and quarreling. And those are two things that are really, really common uh, for us. I mentioned Sunday, one of, my, one of my things that I have to work on is procrastination. And procrastination is two things. It's a laziness and it's a lack of faith. It's a laziness to do the work because you fail to have the faith to trust that God is going to um, bless your work and, and, and make it worthwhile or, or provide you the strength and the ability to, to do what you've been called to do. So I can just keep putting it off, keep putting it off. I don't I don't want to get to it yet. Um, and so Proverbs says a lot about those two things, laziness. And then the, the second one is quarreling. Um, and we're just, we're just made to quarrel, to argue, to fuss, to fight, to debate, um, to disagree, and to voice our disagreements in ways that uh, do not build a healthy relationship. And so Proverbs says a lot about what comes out of our mouth and, and how we use it. So let's take a look at these two topics. Um, we're looking at just the verses as they come up. In verse 13 and 16, can someone read that for us? Proverbs 26, verse 13 and then 16. both of those. What is he emphasizing there when the sluggard says there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the street? Excuses, exactly. Excuses. Here's the reason why you know, I'm not just lazy. I just don't do it because I have a good reason for not doing it. And that's what it says the, the sluggard is if you want creative excuses, go to the lazy person. They, they got them all down pat. Um, and why are we being warned about this? Some of the things that we think are legit are simply excuses for not doing what we know we should do. And when I was a kid, I used to think, a shovel the, the snow. In two weeks, it's going to warm up, and it's all going to melt. I used to say, God, let it come down. Let him take care of it. Let's let the sun come out and just warm it up and melt it. That's a sluggard. That's, you know, and, and here's the thing that um, in verse 16, the sluggard, the lazy person, really thinks that they're smart. They outsmart themselves. Look at verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. They'll say, they'll make an excuse of why we don't do something. And it, it will be a sometimes a very creative excuse. Um, and, and so they, they use a lot of wit 
to cover what it is that they're not doing. And so we have to be careful with that. It's good to have a friend who will um, challenge our excuses. We tend to think, you know, just like you come to the job late, right? Well, I was late because, you know, it's like after two chances, it don't matter what the cause is. The fact is you're late and it's not acceptable. And so it's up to us to do something about that. We can always find a reason why we're late or whatever else we want to say. Um, you know, the traffic was really bad today. Um, alarm didn't go off. Um, the dog ate my homework. I mean, it's just it, whatever excuse we want to make, we make excuses for. And we, the problem is when we hide behind those and think that they're legit. Um, and so we, we have to fight those excuses. Um, you find it hard to get up in the morning. Now, some people are morning people, don't have an issue with that. But if you lay in the bed and think of reasons why you shouldn't get up, you will not get up. It usually goes like this in my mind. I don't feel so good. Well, in the morning, you really don't know how you feel until you try to get up and, and get going. So when I'm sick, I'll at least like, okay, let me get up, go to the bathroom, and let me make a decision after that. Not laying in the bed. Let me make a decision after that. Then let's see how it feels. And then if I make it that way, well, let me get dressed and then I'll see how I feel. Or let me eat breakfast and then I'll see how I feel. Or let me take this next step. And if I can't take that next step, then I know, okay, well, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm doing, not doing well enough to, to advance. But the point is we challenge past our excuses. Um, and so uh, verse 14, the slug, uh, someone read that for me. Verse 14. Okay, what's the point there? Laziness is what? Fill in the blank. Laziness is blank. Okay. Anybody else fill it in? Okay, what does the door and the hinge have to do with that? Nature of, it's the design, the makeup, it's the character of the person. The character of a door is to have hinges that allow it to swing. The character of a lazy person is to be lazy. They have built it into their DNA. They have built it into their care. It's natural. They don't have to think about it. They don't have to plan for it. It is just built in natural. Proverbs says this about something else. Um, foolishness is bound up in every child, but the rod of correction will drive it out of them. Laziness is bound up in us and we have to fight or discipline ourselves not to do that or not to be that way, not to have that character trait dominate us, right? We have to fight. We have to
discipline, we have to do something to get past that. It doesn't just go away by itself. The door will swing on its hinge because the hinge is made to accomplish. We don't have to teach someone. It's, it's, within, it's within our human nature. Now, I know what we'll say. I'm, I'm not a lazy person. I, I work hard. Well, that's true until it's something I don't want to do. And then I find it very hard to do. I feel like cutting the grass. I feel like showing the stone. I don't feel like cleaning up. I don't feel like being organized. I don't feel like getting up early this morning and, and, and reading my Bible. I don't feel like making time for prayer. I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel. And so that's what I have to fight. My sin nature. Now, it's true that all of our sin natures don't tend to the same uh, issue or the same default. We all have special things that click more with us than with others, right? And we might say, I'm a very ambitious person, and that may be true. But the point is, it's our sin nature that calls us back to these, these human sinful traits, and we have to fight them. Some of us have to fight specific ones more than others. I, I get that. But it's saying it's part of the nature of the person. You might have several children, and you'll find that one struggles with that more than the other. That's true. But it's part of their nature that you have to fight and get them to discipline. The same thing we do for ourselves. We get ourselves to, to discipline past that. All right. Um, also, verse 15. Can someone read that for me? Okay. Proverbs likes exaggerations, but it makes a point. What point is it making there? Yes. Say that again. Laziness will cause us to be self-destructive. Things that we should do for ourselves or we need to do for our own good, we won't do out of pure laziness. Change laziness for um, change laziness for just self-discipline in any area, right? There are things that I should do that that are to my benefit, but I struggle to do them. Another way of saying this is sin is very self-destructive. We fail to do things that are for our own good, and we can't even motivate ourselves to do something for our own benefit because sin will dominate us and what it's trying to do is destroy us, right? And so in, in our disciplines in life, um, those, that's why we discipline ourselves because we realize I don't always feel like doing what I need to do and what is good for me to do, right? Think about that in the spiritual world as well as the natural world. I tend to do the stuff I like and that's easy or comes natural for me, but I need to discipline myself in those other areas that are good for me to do, but I don't really want to do them, right? You saw a child, you train them, right? You train them uh, concerning their hygiene and when they should wash and how they should wash, and you train them concerning their rest and when they should sleep and how they should sleep. And, and uh, uh, when they should eat, how much they should eat, and what types of food they should eat. Those things are good for them, but they don't always want to do the thing that's good for them. And so as, as 
human beings who aren't children, we still have that trait, we still have to fight. We're self-destructive and we won't even change for our own good. That's a scary thing. You know, it's a scary thing. Um, and you know what's hard for adults is we have a certain amount of wisdom and knowledge and it still does not lead us towards what is right. <laughs> because doing what's right is not just the natural thing, it's an unnatural thing and, and we need, in other words, to live a godly disciplined life. We need something more than just our own self-discipline. We need uh, a submission to God. All right, let me go to the last one. And that's this idea of being argumentative. Verse 20 through 22. Let's read all three of those verses together. So I'm going to take a verse 20, 21, and 22. Have wood, the fire will die out. What does that say about the quarrelsome person? Yep. Um, it's, it's interesting when you're a teacher at a school and you have certain students that are absent, you go, wow. <laughs> it's a little less mess today because the quarrelsome one is missing, right? Um, you take that person out and the fire just dies down. Um, so, Excuse me. Quarrelsome people, the, the trait of being quarrelsome is one that keeps the fight going. They want to have the last word, right? Just won't stop. Just keep at it. We have a sin nature that will do that. I've seen people don't know how to shut their mouth even when, okay, like they, they're the weaker and they don't know this other person can absolutely crush them. And even if they know that, they still won't shut up. You ever seen somebody like that? It's like, dude, quiet. Don't, you know, know when to be quiet. Close your mouth. They still won't. They got to have another word. They put more coals on the fire. They won't let the fire go down. Um, you don't have to live very long to, to see that happen all around you. Um, I see it in driving all the time, right? Um, road rage. Somebody does something to somebody and, and then they're mad about it. And I can see why you get mad. But at some point, let it go. Because you're just going to raise the stake. And now you got people driving 70 miles an hour trying to catch up with each other so they can get a mean stare and. You know, just, they won't let it go. I'm not going to let them pass me. And so, you know, it's one thing after another, that self-control, where we don't want to let, a, let a, a matter go. We have to say something, we have to do something, keep the fire going. The other thing is verse 22. It shows, again, the self-destructiveness of it. Um, the words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. They can hurt deeply. They can hurt deeply. It's like something that we eat, um, and, and it makes us sick inside. While we ate it, it might have tasted a little funny, but we ate it anyway, right? Um, but when it gets down in there, and just, oh, boy, <laughs> I hear it bubbling up. This is not going to be good. This is not going to be fun. Words can do that as well. Um, 
our words can greatly impact someone for a negative, and we really need to take that into account. Um, and, and I'm going to say not just necessarily, they, they can do that when we, um, when we're a parent and we're talking to a child and we think we have reason to um, correct this child, and we should correct, but how we correct and the words that we use, there are words that can, that can just be um, very destructive to an individual. And, we use extremes to see that, but um, I'm sure if you've been around like I have, you've heard mothers use words with toddlers. A toddler barely can talk, but mother is using profanity that is, it's just a shame. Like, why are you speaking that way towards your child? And they think that's just words that he's used to that now. But those words can, can hurt very, deeply, and I think that's the point that he's making in, in verse uh, 22. Down to the inner parts of the body. Any comments or uh, questions or remarks before we wrap this up? God is talking to, and he's, he's, he's speaking to us in the moment. We just choose to ignore him, right? To go right over um, He's saying, don't say that. Don't do that. No, 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 I, I got this. <laughs> I got to do this. I feel like doing this. And so, yeah, we, we, we tend to ignore uh, the Holy Spirit's direction. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is working through another individual to, to tell us when. when. When we've gone too far or when we've gone far enough and we shouldn't keep going. But we rely on our flesh instead of the Holy Spirit. All right, let's... Um, Thank you for looking at God's word and wisdom. Let's go on to the meditation part. I've been meditating through the book of Ezekiel. <clears throat> and in this part of the book, it's kind of like a new season in the series of Ezekiel. And in this season, all these enemies are rising up. And it just so happens that this next enemy... You know, it kind of reminds me of this song. I forget what the OJs that say, smile in your face. Want to take your place? Yeah, backstabbers. Right? Smile. Anyways, we're going to see um, people who, you know, they say one thing and they're actually another. So let's look at chapter 14. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have taken idols into their hearts and set a stumbling block of iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Even one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart, and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, 
I, the Lord, will answer him myself, and I will set my face against that man. I will make him a sign and a byword and cut him off from the midst of my people, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet is deceived and speaks a word, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. And they shall bear their punishment. The punishment of the prophet and the punishment of the acquirer shall be alike, that the house of Israel may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves any more with all the transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I may be their God, declares the Lord God. All right. What do we see here? What do you see here? Some things to point out. God is asking them to turn away from their idols. But what's the problem? You want to turn, he's asking them to turn away from their idols. Yeah, the problem is that they have come to God as if they are honestly seeking to hear from him, right? but they secretly doing dirt, right? And so they're putting on this face of being holy, but they're not holy. They're actually in their hearts. They got idols in there. And so they're being judged. Now, towards the end, well, let's keep going. What other points did you guys have? What else have you seen in this passage? What does the Holy Spirit reveal? If he reveals something to you, speak. Okay, he said, I'm not going to, well, actually, he kind of said it in another way. He said, I'm going to get in your face, right? Oh, you come and test my prophet? You think you're going to just hear some nice words? No, it's going to be me turning around, right? You're going to be like, oh, I'm going to hear the prophet. The prophet going to turn around. God going to be right there looking at you in the face. But it's also, well, it's, it's funny to me, too. All right, this is why it's funny. Why did they come to the prophet? Why did they say they came to the prophet? Okay, but what is God saying he's going to do? They're going to hear from God. All right, now let me ask you this. Why is that a threat? Okay, it's not something they want to hear. So why did they come? Other people can see them coming there, right? So think of it this way. If what they really wanted was to hear from God, the prophet's word wouldn't be a threat, right? It's a crazy thing, but it's kind of a funny passage in that way because when you think about it, if you really did come to hear from God and you heard from God, wouldn't you be happy? But they're not happy because they really don't want to hear from God. What do they want to hear from? Well, the end of the passage gives the hint. Who do they keep turning to? These false prophets. Right? And then when they hear from the false prophets, what do they hear? A lie. And the lie destroys 
the prophet and the one who hears it. Right? God said in a, in a weird way he said it, right? But he said, I deceive the prophet and they both will be destroyed. And this idea is given like this. It's almost kind of reminds me of another part in the Bible. You remember the um, prophet Eli, right? Also a priest, right? He was a judge. And he was sitting there and his sons weren't doing right. And it said they didn't repent because God desired to kill them, right? And you almost get this idea. And the same thing that happened with, you know, I think it was Ahab. He was sitting there and all his prophets was prophesying. And he said, why? He said, well, I got 400 prophets. How can they all be wrong? Right? How can they all be wrong? It's just you, Micaiah, know the truth. How can that be? And he's like, well, let me tell you. I was in, I looked into heaven, right? God showed me a vision in heaven. And he said, hey, who's going to lie to Ahab? Who's going to kill this guy? Because I'm tired of him. And one demon said this and another demon said that, which lets you know that demons are also in heaven, right? And so they all sitting there, and then finally one demon said, hey, you know what? I'll be a lying voice in all his prophets. And God was like, so you got the job. And he goes, and all the prophets are deceived. So he said, and that's why they're all speaking the same thing, because God gave them over to the evil spirit. Why are the prophets doing evil? Ultimately, they do it because of their own will. But in a sense, you could say God got so angry at them, he gave them over to the lie. Okay, you want to prophesy by another spirit? Right? Earlier chapters, he said, you prophesy however you want to. Okay, I'll give you a lie. I'll give you a lie. I'll let demons empower you. Sure, you can have it. And when demons empower you, you're going to feel like you empower. You're going to be like, oh my goodness, this is real. This is powerful. It reminds me a lot about the campaign he gets us. Anybody heard that campaign? Mm-hmm. It's not a good campaign. If you don't know about it, it's a commercial series and they had it in the Super Bowl. And they say, he gets us. And they got Jesus. They said, Jesus washed all of our feet. And they got all these people washing feet, right? But if you really pay close attention, all the people who's getting their feet washed is the people who, there's somebody outside of abortion clinic getting their feet washed. There's somebody who's clearly gay getting their feet washed. There's somebody who is protesting against the police getting his feet washed by a policeman. You never see it going the other way. The people protesting, washing the police feet. You don't see that. It's all one way. So that should let you know right there they got an agenda, okay? But then after that, you start to think, did Jesus ever go around washing people's feet? Right? Let's just think about that for a second. Did Jesus just go around randomly washing people's feet? Is that part of his ministry? No. So then we say, well, they're wrong about Scripture, right? I, I know somebody washed Jesus' feet, a lady who was a sinner. She gave all that she had to put a fragrance in her hair and wash his own feet. She washed Jesus' feet. I know that. And I know that Jesus washed his disciples' feet after they washed. And he happened to wash Judas's feet too. Now, some people are using that excuse. Well, he did wash Judas's feet and he knew he wasn't right. There was a point to that. There was a point to that. What was Jesus showing when he washed the disciples' feet? He said, this is how you ought to operate in the church. What's the church? We don't know if there's a Judas in the, street, in the church. 
We don't know if we're washing a Judas's feet or a Peter's feet. Both of them denied Jesus at one point. But what we do in the church is we wash feet. And every once in a while, we wash somebody's feet. And like, dude, this dude wasn't right. He never was right. He was always a Judas. But most of the time when we wash feet, we're washing feet of disciples like Jesus did. Eleven out of twelve were disciples. We ain't going out there randomly washing gay people's feet. the problem with the campaign everybody oh it's so nice it's so sweet listen if you want to talk about Jesus talk about the fact that he died on a cross for our sins talk about the fact that he rose again talk about the fact that he condemned sin yes he walked with sinners but he also did not tolerate sin right the people accused that woman he didn't say well he said your accusers are gone so don't throw a stone he didn't just end with that he said go and sin no more. People don't like that Jesus. That Jesus was not part of the campaign. People want to be lied to. And the Christians who are saying, oh, well, at least this generates good gospel discussions. Guess what? Years ago, when that artist put the cross in urine, that also generated good gospel discussions don't make it good there's so many people this is the problem with Christians right now we're so desperate to be accepted by people we have a confidence problem I'm not saying all of us in here but in general Christians do they want so bad for a celebrity to be a Christian they want so bad for somebody in the media to, media to say something nice about Jesus why do you need that affirmation let God be your affirmation. Let all of them deny Jesus. He's still going to be true. You got to learn to stand alone if you're going to be a Christian. That's just the truth. You got to learn to be a minority if you're a Christian. That's just the truth. You got too many people trying to be accepted and accepting and trying to win people over by our nice personalities. That don't help nobody. Because the Christians in Rome was adopting the abandoned kids. And who did Nero kill first in Rome? The Christians. No matter how nice you are, no matter how loving you are, you got to speak the truth sometimes. I mean, we don't say it out of love. But I'm tired of these campaigns trying to make Christianity nice. Just speak the word. What does God say to the people? Are we smarter than God? What did God say here? Thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols. Is that part of their campaign? Now, if God can say it, who can say it better than God? Stop. Just say what God says. But we don't want to hear what God says. And those campaigns will be successful to unsaved people who want to hear liars. But if you really want to be saved, you might have to hear unpleasant truth. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. Just like me. And I was no good. Just like you no good. We all been corrupted. Every man corrupted and went their own way. But Jesus saves. And if that's not our message, 
And if people don't listen to that, they're not going to listen to anything. That's the truth. Everybody trying to say, it's just the way we market ourselves. No, it's the wicked hearts of men. Why don't we just rely on this word, amen? Rely on this word. Too many people coming to us with idols in their hearts. Tell them to repent. Don't tell them how much you love them. You can do that after you tell them to repent. Because that's what they need. They're not going to be saved by your familiar love. They're going to be saved by turning to the only Savior. Amen.